Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so excited that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. Our goal here is to be a church that glorifies God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all people. And our prayer is that if you are not connected to a Bible-believing church, that you would come and be with us here at First. But if you are, we don't want this to be any kind of substitute. We want you to be actively involved in the ministry of your church. But we are so happy that you are with us and we pray that God will use his word to change your life for the glory of God. Take your copy of God's word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If this is your first time worshiping with us here at First Baptist Church of Naples, we are honored to have you be with us tonight. And if you're watching online, thank you so much for joining us. And in the pew back in front of you, if you're in the house, uh, there's a little connection card. And if you would just be so kind as to fill out whatever information you would like and turn that in at the offering boxes as you leave or take it to the next steps uh, area in our uh, commons, which is to your left as you leave, that would be a tremendous gift. And if, if this is your first time, God's doing some great things here at first. And we are just honored that you would be with us today. First Peter chapter four, and we're going to begin in verse number one. Would you stand as we read God's word together? God says through Peter, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the, with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of, pardon me, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. You may be seated. We live in Naples, so here's a question I want to throw out to you. How many of you like boats? You like boats? Some of you do, some of you don't like boats. Uh, I did some research and found out that there are 1,740 documented boat owners in Collier County. Now, I would have thought the number would be higher than that, but that's who is documented, residents of Collier County. Here's my philosophy about boats. It is better to have a friend who owns a boat <laughs> than to own a boat yourself. Amen. Now you say, Pastor, what, is, what are we talking about boats for tonight? Well, the reason I want to bring up boats is because I, I think, when I think about a boat and I think about water, that, that kind of tells me a little bit about the relationship that Christians should have with the world. And so the relationship that Christians should have with the world is like boat on water. Now let me just dive a little deeper so I don't lose all of us here. Boats were specifically designed and made to interact with water. Boats were made to be on the water. Y'all tracking with me? But while the boat was made to be on the water, the boat was not made for the water to be in the boat. 
And so it is for believers. Our faith in Jesus was designed to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to interact with the world, make a difference in the world, but not be filled up and sunk by the world. We are called to be different. Now, different does not mean isolation. Different does not mean that you wear nothing but black and white clothes. You do not wear buttons. You live outside of all of civilization and you are completely isolated, saturated, and disinfected from the world. That's not what it means. But it also doesn't mean to have complete immersion in the world, trying to be hip and relevant. Being hip and relevant is code for looking and acting like the world. So Jesus, who is our great example, lived in the world, but he was not of the world. Now Peter here is writing to a small group, a Christian Group, a small minority in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, who were living in the Roman Empire and they were ostracized from society. Peter is an old man when he writes this epistle and he has seen a lot and, and he knows exactly what it's like to follow Jesus. And if you remember, Jesus called him when he was a fisherman and, and Peter himself dealt with doubt. He experienced heart breaking failure in his own personal crisis of faith. He denied Jesus three times. And yet he saw the resurrection, was restored, preached great sermons. He preached a sermon one day and the Holy Spirit broke out and thousands of people turned from death to life. Peter was put in prison. Peter was beaten. Peter suffered for his faith. And now as an old man, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is sharing his heart about what it means to follow Jesus in a world that hates your guts. So here's what it means. Following Jesus means being different from the world and how we think, how we live, and how we die. Let's unpack that. As Christians, we are to think different. Verse one, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. If you've been tracking with us in this series last week, we talked about Jesus who suffered once for sins. Jesus physically, emotionally, and spiritually suffered for sins. But he suffered not only spiritually and emotionally, but he suffered physically uh, on the cross. And Peter tells us that that is to bring us to God. No one has ever and no one will ever suffer like Jesus suffered. Jesus, here he wants us to understand in the sarks, in the flesh, Jesus was fully man. Truly God, but fully men. And he experienced a full range of suffering. He was ridiculed, mocked, had many sleepless nights, experienced hunger and thirst, loneliness, rejection, humiliation, torture, and death. And though on the cross it seemed like the good guys lost, huh, it did, the bad guys didn't have the final word. Or it was God who had the final word. It was Jesus and the resurrection that had the final word. And so Jesus suffered in the flesh. And so since, therefore, Jesus suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. 
Equip yourself, prepare yourself, put your armor on. And here's what he's saying here. He's using this, this militaristic terminology to tell us that Christians, it's time to prepare for war. The Christian life is war. Now, our fight is not just against flesh and blood, but it's against demonic authorities and powers of this present age. And even though Peter has just told us that those powers and authorities have been subjected to Christ, still yet Satan and his minions continue to prowl around for a season seeking to destroy and devour whoever they can. We are in the already, but the not yet. And so Peter does not want these believers, nor does he want us to be naive. To be prepared for war against sin and Satan is to be prepared for suffering and even to die. Following Jesus doesn't just take you from glory to glory. Following Jesus often takes you from suffering that ultimately leads to glory. That's why Jesus said that if anyone comes after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. And so he says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. What way of thinking? What's Christ's way of thinking? And so Peter's already kind of unpacked Christ's way of thinking when it came to suffering, when it came to going through difficult seasons, when it came to being ridiculed, persecuted, and suffering for your faith. And so in chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, just to rehearse what he says here, that Jesus, when he was uh, suffering, when he was ridiculed, when he was persecuted, he committed no sin to get out of it. So he didn't send his way out of suffering. He, there was no deceit found in his mouth. He didn't lie his way out of suffering. Uh, when they, when they uh, reviled him, he didn't revile back. He never said, as the old spiritual song goes, a mumbling word. He, he never threatened. He didn't retaliate. He kept trusting God and kept loving people. Now, what do we do when we suffer? Is that what we do? Normally, we try any way and every way we can to get out of suffering, and if someone does something to us, we retaliate, and often we run around like chickens with our heads cut off, and we don't trust God, we want to trust our own instincts, and we don't love people like we should. But here he says, you all have to arm yourself with the same way of thinking. But not only did he have this, Christian, this Christ example, but also here, I think that the knowledge that we need to have is the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus. Think about this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about perseverance, and he says, seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run this race with endurance. And then he says in verse number two, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When he was on the cross, joy was on his mind. Why? Because weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Why? Because on the third day, Jesus rose. And Jesus understood that to accomplish his work on earth required pain and suffering so that he can ultimately defeat our pain and suffering through his resurrection. Listen, without a crucifixion, there is no resurrection. And so with the same way of thinking, and so he wants you to understand that this is not a lullaby. This is war. And so many in the church have peacetime mentality. We have been sung to sleep with Christian lullabies telling us it's our best life now that we are going to live on a flowery bed of ease and we're going to sit on our little lily pads until we croak. Listen, church, we've got to be real. 
We got to understand what time it is. We got to be awake and we got to be alert. Because in our culture, we have to work hard to be in our right minds. Can I get a witness on that? We can easily be seduced by the spiritual dark forces of our day. And listen, we are called to think different than the rest of the world. We have to arm our minds in a different way of thinking. Paul says to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take thought, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Listen, my friends, we can't use the world's ways to fight spiritual battles. Self-help techniques, philosophies of this world may help you for a little while, but they will not help you win the victory. Because here's what you have to understand, church. We are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And so we don't have to use the stinking thinking of this world and the philosophies and the strategies of this world to win spiritual battles because the spiritual war has already been won. We just have to remind ourselves this, greater is he that's in me than anyone that's ever picking on me. Christ's resurrection from the dead guarantees my resurrection and ultimate glorification. And even though we are at war, the war has already been won at the cross in the empty tomb. And we are just living in the in-between of the already and not yet. You know, my house, we love Disney movies. Uh, I'll tell you, there was a season uh, that Disney movies were horrible. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That little dark season. But I remember the 90s. The 90s were like when Disney was Disney. When you had the little mermaid. You remember when McDonald's used to give you like the toys? for all the different movies, the, the, the Disney movies. And I remember watching Little Mermaid, and then you had Aladdin, and then you have The, the Lion King. That, that's like the, the holy grail of Disney movies, right? I mean, there's some other ones out there, but some of them are dumb. They just really are. They're just flat out dumb. But like, those are some of the best movies. Well, here's the thing. If you've watched any Disney movie once, you've seen the, the arc and the storyline of all of them. You know that somewhere in the Disney movie, there will be a moment where you think all is lost, where you just have in your mind, you follow with the, the main characters that something is bad, something bad is going to happen and that the whole thing, the whole joy of the story is going to be lost into darkness. But what you do know, if you've watched enough Disney movies, that even though you may follow them into what you think is all is lost and, and the pit of despair, you know that there's a happy ending coming. And so even though you may be watching a Disney movie and you may be going through it for the first time in your life, you know if you've seen any Disney movies, you know how the story ends. Church family, listen, here's what I'm trying to say. You may be going through stuff that you don't know how the ending's gonna go. You may be going through an up and a down and a high and a low, but you know how the story ends. Peter says you better arm yourself or you're gonna be in trouble. You have to have this mindset. And so he says in verse number two, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, what's that about? 
Well, I think the translation here maybe would be better. And I think the NIV says it best when it says is finished with sin. So whoever has suffered in the flesh is finished with sin. This is not teaching that if you suffer for Jesus, you'll never sin again and you'll be perfect here on earth. I don't know about y'all, but I still struggle. And you and I are going to struggle with sin until we're delivered from his presence. And then we'll live with God in heaven in our glorified bodies. But until that day happens, we're going to struggle. Well, what Peter here is getting at is this, is that when you and I choose to suffer for Christ, it's an indication that we have chosen Christ over the world. And so we have committed to live for Christ and to be done with sin. You know, the, the, the strength uh, that you know, or the, how you know that you're growing in godliness, how you know you're growing in holiness, is not that you see your sin less, but you see that you sin even more and you hate what you do. And you say, I don't want to be around that stuff anymore. But being, being done with sin is more of a renunciation of sin than it is a complete cessation of sin. It's a resolution. It's a discipline. And so he says here that if you suffer with Christ, you are saying, you know, if I'm willing to suffer for Christ, if I'm willing to die for Christ, then I'm going to live for Christ. And if I'm going to live for Christ, I'm going to say no to that junk. It's a different way of thinking. So we have to be resolved, he says in verse number two, to no longer follow human affections, human desires, but the will of God. And so as you, as your thinking changes, as you are not conformed to the image of this world, but you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, as you think of the gospel implications and the resurrection story and power, that you want God's will more in your life than you want your way. I want God's will to be what I think about more than what my sinful thoughts and desires are. I'm not going to get sucked into sin. Here's what you have to understand. And and listen, you need to, some of you that are struggling with pornography, you need to hear this. Sin makes you stupid. It does. It promises so much. Satan will give you his best 30 minutes for the rest of your life. Sin makes you dumb and it will destroy your soul. And so Peter says, you and I must have a mindset to suffer for Christ. If we don't have that in our minds, then we're going to give in to temptation. To choose Christ means that you and I are done with the old ways of life, that we're going to turn from the life that we used to love and choose God's will over my way. So this whole idea of of thinking different is that Christians must think differently to follow Christ To truly follow Christ means a certain level of suffering. And so for most of us, we don't really suffer like the rest of the world does. So in our Americanized Christianity, for us to suffer for Christ, to be willing to have this mindset that I'm willing to suffer for Christ, though none go with me, still I will follow, is often a choice to live a sacrificial lifestyle, to make choices So to think differently than the world means that I am going to choose to sacrifice money to be generous. When you think differently, greed doesn't have a grip on you. When you think of the resurrection power of Jesus and what the gospel did in your life, it's going to loosen your wallet. You know, sadly, more people give, pay a a car payment than they do giving to their local church. Some people, maybe even this week, gave more in golf dues than you did to the kingdom of God. When you have a resurrection mindset, when you think different, it will make you have a desire to sacrifice creature comforts, to be worn out in serving others. So many of us, we want to be served. 
We're going to talk about this next week. We, we think that this is the good ship lollipop. And they were just on some sort of cruise ship. Folks, this isn't a cruise ship. This is a battleship and an aircraft carrier. We are storming the gates of hell. And we're going to launch out as many of you to the nations and to Naples for the glory of God until he returns. But you will never get off your blessed assurance if you don't think differently. For some of you, it may be giving up sinful relationships, that you're sleeping with somebody you shouldn't be sleeping with, that you're shacking up with somebody when you know you're supposed to be married, when you're doing things that you know, giving up certain actions and certain habits. Here's what I'm saying, and I could go for a long way, but I know that we can't handle it, so neither can I. So here's what I want to say. We got to think differently than the world does. Secondly, we got to live different. Now, it's kind of one and the same here, so let's go a little bit deeper. He says in verse number three, for the time, for time is past for doing what the Gentiles have done. In other words, when he says the word Gentiles, this is unbelievers for pagans. He says, the time of living for yourself, following after the world and rebelling against God is over. It's time to move past your past life and live out the new life you have in Christ. So grace has saved you to change you into a new, different person. Now, as you read that list, and who would have thought we would say in church some of these words? When he lists off the sins of the Gentiles, some of you and some of the people that Peter was writing to, these were the things that they used to do. But they're rescued by Jesus from these things. And those words give me hope. Because here's what that means. If some of you have done some of those things that Peter or the rest of Scripture talks about, and you don't think God can save you, and you don't think God can use you, think again. And if you struggle in this room tonight with the shame of your past, I've got good news. You don't have to anymore. Because in Christ, you are holy and you are special. So Peter here gives a list of the things that the Gentiles do. He says sensuality. This is hedonism. So this is the way the world is. is that they live for themselves. They live for self-gratification. Unrestrained behaviors. Sensuality. Passions. This is a conscious pursuit of unrestrained behaviors. And so how our world lives is it lives for self-gratification and the constant pursuit of unrestrained behaviors. And then he gives this list of drunkenness, orgies, and drinking party. Who would think we would say the word orgies in church? The Holy Spirit would because it's in here. But this is uncontrolled substance abuse. This is wild parties. This describes a band of drunken people who would sing loudly in public. This is sexually perverse people. These things are often were associated with the worship of the temple. And so in Peter's day, those that were pagans, this is how they worshiped their false gods. And that's why he concludes with lawless or detestable idolatry. This is profane worship of the false gods. This is how they worship the false gods by getting drunk and sleeping around and, and, and having carousing parties and doing all kinds of crazy things. And what Peter is saying, while he kind of sums it up with lawless idolatry, he is saying that the reason why these people do these things is because they are a slave to an idol. What you do is symptomatic of who you worship. 
The things that you do, whether again, if it's pornography or anger or pride or laziness or substance abuse, those are just symptomatic. Those are the smoke which points to the fire at the altar of the idol you're worshiping. And so these people were worshiping the false gods by doing evil things. And so let's just kind of break this down. Sexual promiscuity. Now you say, what's that word, preacher? It means having sexual relationship with someone you're not married to. Is really serving the God of lust and self-gratification. And so the TikTok, Snapchat America that we live in, the reason why it's so exciting is because you are, in, in doing these things, you are worshiping the God of self-gratification. Drunkenness is serving the God of pleasure. I mean, you can take every vile practice in society, and if you go behind the scenes, you'll see that there is a sin underneath the sin. And so what Peter says is, listen, guys, don't go back to debauchery. The word debauchery, we don't really use that word much, but it's a, it means an, it's, an, it's an attitude of the heart that says, I'm not going to restrain myself from what I want. Debauchery is just, if I want it, I'm going to get it. And so Peter says, don't give way to your sinful heart. Don't, don't, listen, don't go after it. And I mean, how many times do you need to be high to realize it's not worth it? Because here's what happens. The sin that promises joy and life leads you to the grave. So don't go back. You know that that was a dead-end street, so don't go back. Don't go be doing what your old buddies used to do. Don't be going into the old lifestyle. Now, some of you have been saved miraculously from some, some horrible sins, and, and yet you still, every now and again, you have those old tendencies. And so Peter says, don't go back. But then he goes in verse number four, and he says, listen, as you live differently, here's what's going to happen. As you, don't, as you say no, remember Barbara Bush said, just say no? When you just say no, some of the middle schoolers are like, who's Barbara Bush? I'm, Ask your, ask your grandpa. She'll know. He'll know. <laughs> he says in verse number four that your, your old buddies are going to be surprised when you don't join them. You know, one of the hardest things for new Christians to face is being rejected by their fam, family and friends because they refuse to do the things they used to do. Listen, your friends don't understand why you don't do the old stuff you used to do. They don't understand why you just don't want to feel good now. They don't understand why you don't want to chase your dreams or do what you want or spend all your money on yourself. They're surprised. And here's what happens. They get upset and the Bible says they malign you. They slander you. They cut you down. Because when you don't live like everyone else lives, it disturbs them because they have based their entire life on doing those things. And so when you refuse to do the things that people have based their entire life on, they're upset. And so the people of this world, they only have hope in this world. And so that's why they're living their best life now. That's why they're out trying to do whatever they can, because this world is all they got. And sadly, for countless thousands of people that you're going to engage in Naples this week, the high, the thrill is the closest thing to heaven that they'll ever experience. Now think about this. Stay with me here. I know it's a strange sermon, but that's okay. Every message 
in our society, social media, entertainment industry, news, business, academia. Here's what it does. It tries to make sin look normal and righteousness seem weird. And here's what social media does. Here's what every message. It doesn't tell us what to think. It tells us what to think about. It tells us what's the most important. And so when you watch a sitcom, when you watch a television show, even though you binge watching, what they're doing in the social media, what they're doing in the news, regardless whether it's Fox News or MSNBC, they are framing a message to slowly change your thinking, which slowly changes your behavior. Theo Hobson, the British liberal thinker, defines what's happened in America in the past 50 years in the moral revolution this way. He says, that which was repudiated must be celebrated. That which was celebrated must be repudiated, and those who do not celebrate must themselves be repudiated. You say, what does that mean? Let's break that down. Sin that was condemned in the past is, is celebrated today. And righteousness that was celebrated in the past is now condemned. And so if you don't agree with them, you're canceled. Around Halloween, we see those little, you know, those commercials about Halloween. Halloween is slowly becoming the next Christmas in American holidays. I'll let you think about that one for a moment. It's surpassing Christmas in the amount of sales starting to. There was a commercial by Twix. Have you heard about this one? And in this commercial, it was kind of a short. It shows a little boy in a princess dress. There's this nanny who looks like some sort of goth person, a witch. She comes in, almost like a, it's like a Mary Poppins that really has gone wrong. And... She walks in and she sees, she knocks on the door and she sees this little boy dressed as a princess. And so she's very happy he's dressed as a princess. And so they go outside and the little boy is still wearing his dress. And, and there, so there's another boy that comes in and he's wearing a superhero costume. And he, he looks at this boy who's wearing a, a dress and he says, boys don't wear dresses. And so the little boy wearing the dress says, but it makes me feel good. The nanny gets upset. The next thing you know, there's this great wind that comes along and that boy that was in the cape that said boys don't wear dresses was swept away, flung out into oblivion, never to be heard from again. The moral of the story is this. If you don't accept the new normal, we're going to sweep you away. So watch with your eyes, listen with your ears, and deal with the new morality and the new reality. And shame on you if you don't follow us. Either join this great lie or be swept away forever. Church, it's coming more and more. Don't be surprised. But here's what he says. When you live different, they're going to malign you. They're going to try to cancel you. They're going to talk bad about you. But then he says in verse number five, but they're going to give account. They're going to give an account. 
They're gonna give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They may make your life miserable on earth, but they will never get away with it. They don't have the last word. God has the last word and he's not gonna let them go unpunished. God will have perfect judgment and mocking is temporary, but hell is eternal. And if they reject Jesus as their savior, they will face Jesus as their judge. And so he says, Christians don't live like the world, but live different from the world. Embrace being called a weirdo. I have for years. Listen, to walk in step with God will cause you to walk out of step with the world. But this world is not our culture. We must not cower at the slander or desperately try to fit in. We have to wake up every morning with Jesus in our cup. We have to be resolved that today I'm going to be a genuine Christian. I'm going to say no to sin and I'm going to say yes to Jesus. Instead of asking how close can I get to the world, I'm going to ask how close can I get to Jesus today. Think differently, live differently, die differently. Christians should die differently. Verse six, now we get to the fun stuff. This is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. What does that mean? Well, it does not mean that when people die, they get a second chance to hear the gospel and get saved. Because if that were the case, it would go against the complete, they would go against the whole point that Peter is making in this passage about those who reject Christ and persecute Christ's people. So he's not saying that these people are gonna get their comeuppance, they're gonna stand before God as judge, but he's gonna say, well, wait, there's more. I'm gonna give you a second chance. Even though you're dead, I'm gonna give you a second chance. No, that's not in the Bible. That's not what this is teaching. That's baloney. So what does Peter mean? If you were to add some interpretation from the Greek text, here's how I would take that verse. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. So the gospel was preached to people who were alive when they heard it and were alive when they believed it, but now they're dead. And they have now died either because of persecution, natural causes, or suffering in this life, which is being judged in the flesh. And now they are dead, dead in the flesh, but yet the gospel is good news because now, even though they're dead in the flesh, they're alive in their spirit. Just as Jesus was dead in the flesh and raised by the spirit, they are now alive in Christ and are experiencing the victory that Christ has won for them. And this whole idea of being judged in the flesh, do you realize that every day you're judged by somebody? Sometimes it's fair, sometimes it's unfair. Sometimes it's gracious, sometimes it's without grace. But whatever judgment the world makes about us, either for good or bad, doesn't ultimately matter. Tupac was right, only God can judge me. But here's the truth, we will all die 
and we'll all be judged. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, just as it's appointed for man to die once, after that comes the judgment. There's some statistics on death I read recently that there's been, in the history of the world, this is estimated that there's been 110 billion people to have been born on the earth, okay? Around 7 billion people are alive right now. So that means that around 93.5% of all people who have ever been born are now dead and living in eternity. Let that one sink in for a moment. So here's what this means. All their earthly accomplishments mean nothing right now. For 93.5% of all people who have ever lived, everything they did on earth right now means doodly do. The only thing that matters right now is did they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Steve Jobs, who died in 2011 of pancreatic cancer at the age of 56, uh, one thing that you may not know, and I'm an Apple user unashamedly, all right? We're still praying for those Android folk, <laughs> you green people. But what you may not understand, emails T, uh, K Taylor at fbcn.org. All you Android folks, we'll send you a coupon for Apple products. Anyway, <laughs> one of the things you may not know about Jobs is that Jobs, when he was in, uh, making the iPad or the iPod and then the iPhone and then the iPad, he didn't want an off switch. Do you know that? He didn't want an off switch on any of his products. And so his biographer, uh, Walter Isaacson, shared this uh, a few years after his death uh, for 60 minutes. Here's what Walter said. He says, I remember sitting in, in Jobs, Steve Jobs' backyard in his garden one day, and he started talking about God. And he said, sometimes I believe in God and sometimes I don't. I think it's 50-50 maybe. But ever since I've had cancer, I've been thinking more about it. And I find myself believing a bit more. I, I kind of maybe it's because I want to believe in an afterlife that when you die, it doesn't just all disappear. The wisdom you've accumulated, somehow it lives on, but sometimes I think it's like an on-off switch. Click, and you're gone. Jobs pauses and says, and that's why I don't like putting on and off switches on Apple devices, because they reminded him of his, his mortality. But see, believers don't die that way. Believers who die live in the spirit the way God does. The gospel that was preached to them that they believed is the good news that death does not have the final say. For believers, it is not death to die. In death, if any of you die this week, if I die this week, do not say he's dead because I'll be more alive in death than I ever was here on earth. Death is not the end of the road to nowhere for Christians. Death is the beginning of our real life that Christ has won for us. Just as Jesus is alive, so we shall be alive with him forever. And so he says, Peter says, Christians think different, they live different, and they die different. They die different. And they don't die different because they live different. And they don't 
die different because they think different. They die different because Jesus made the difference. See, Jesus modeled all three of these ways of being different. Jesus thought different, he lived different, and he died different. No one lived a more compelling life than Jesus. He was in the world, but he wasn't of the world. And so the only way you can be different is having the difference maker living inside of you. It's the only way. So I don't want you leaving here tonight thinking, you know, I gotta work really hard to be different. The reality is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you're already different. You're already different. Let me end with this. A couple years ago, I took my family to Washington, D.C. I came to visit my money, okay? It's a dad joke if there ever was a dad joke. Some lady over there just got it, okay? There you go. So we went on a family vacation to Washington, D.C. We toured the sites. We went to the museums, the free museums that we pay for, <laughs> but they're free. Then we kind of stroll around to Pennsylvania Avenue, and there's this little bitty White House. If you walk, it's not very impressive. Have you ever been to Washington, seen the White House? It's not very big. It's not very impressive. You got to almost, you walk by about 10 other impressive buildings just to get to the White House. But you know what makes the White House special? The person who lives inside of it. Put your politics aside. Here's what makes that house special. The president of the United States lives in that house. That's what makes the White House different than any other house in the world. You know what makes you and I different? Is Jesus lives inside of us. It's not how good of a person we are. It's not how well we seem to have things together. It's that we are saved by grace and the Holy Spirit of, of God, of Christ, lives inside of us, enabling us to think, to live and to die different than the world. So here's my question. Does Jesus Christ live in your heart? You'll never be different until he does. Have you put your hope in Jesus or something else? What's your hope for your life after you die? Does Jesus live in your heart? If he doesn't, what a great night to get saved. What a great night to give your life to Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that as your spirit has spoke through this message tonight, that your Holy Spirit would do a work tonight that I couldn't do. Those in the room right now that are feeling that pressure, that burden in their heart, those butterflies, you know who I'm talking about in this room. Lord, those who are feeling that sense of butterflies, this weight, God, tonight, would you give them faith to trust you as their Savior? And so if you're here tonight and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want you to pray a prayer with me. 
It's not the prayer that will save you, but it's faith in Jesus verbalized in a prayer that will. Father, would you move? And here's what I want you to do. If you're here and you need Jesus, would you pray a prayer like this? Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I have lived for myself. I have done some very bad things. I have lived so far away from you. But God, I need you. Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, you rose from the dead and I need you in my life. And so Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins and would you save me tonight? In Jesus' name. If you're in the room and you are saved, but you are living in hell because you're following the beat of this world's drum, would you tonight, would you tonight give your life a fresh start by not being saved again, but by saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me and help me to live for you. So if you're here tonight, Father, in Jesus' name, do your work. If you're here tonight and you just prayed to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to do something very courageous. I want you to raise your hand as high as you can. I see it. I see it. If you just trusted Jesus as your Savior, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve people. Praise God. Amen. So those of you that just prayed to trust Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to do something else bold. I'm going to have some pastors down here in the front. And I want you, as soon as we start singing, I saw 12 hands. I want you to run down here and talk to these preachers. And they'll help you in your faith journey. Let's all stand. Pastors, go ahead and get down here. Get down here, pastors. You come on down. Let's sing. Come on down. Come on down. If you just trusted Jesus, come on down. Come on down. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.